If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In The Details. If if you're wondering who this smooth tenor voice is right now, it's still me. It's still me, y'all. It's just I have allergies right now and I was feeling super groggy when I woke up. I mean, I'm sneezing. So if at any time you hear a sniffle, know that is from me, but I was not going to let this little allergy season get in the way of a conversation that I'm really looking forward to with Kathy Heller. Kathy, I am so happy to be here with you this morning. How are you, friend? I'm so good. I was so happy to get to connect with you. Yes. I can't wait to dive into all things, all things, abundance and affirmation and energy and thoughts. And I know all of my girlfriends are going to be on the edge of their seat and anyone who is into that kind of conversation and enlightenment, (laughs) go ahead and get those notebooks ready because Kathy's going to drop some gems. So uh, what drew me into this conversation, honestly, is the openness and how you share like the experience of energy and how we can really tap into this spiritual dimension that we all feel, right? Everybody, you intuitively feel this. It's just how many layers have you packed on top? (laughs) You know, how much have you suppressed it? How much have you ignored it? But it's this thing that we all know and we feel, and it's like this, this soulful life that we desire. And you are just so open and and freeing (laughs) about this conversation. And I love it. It draws me right in, but I'm interested to hear, how did you get to this point? Like how, how did you get to this point of liberation where you share some really intimate and vulnerable parts that not everybody may even be receptive to what brought you to, to this space and doing the work you're doing today? Well, I'm actually smiling ear to ear for those of you who can't see us, but just hear us because, you know, my friend, Amy Purdy, who is phenomenal, she lost both of her legs and then wound Love up Amy's becoming story. Yeah. an Olympic snowboarder. She's a really good friend of mine. And recently she came back from this incredible private event with all of the world's biggest leaders. And she said, well, it was so phenomenal. Now I'm trying to come back to reality. And I said, no, no, that's reality, right? Mm-hmm. Because reality literally is limitless, it's abundant. The universe, last time I checked, is expanding, goes on and on. And we are so bound by the illusion of the 3D, even though it actually isn't real. And so when you're asking the question, even the question makes me smile ear to ear because there's such a respect for truth in the question. And so how did I get to it? I went on a journey and was seeking and I was led to these beautiful tools and I sort of put them all together and mixed them into this beautiful pot and they all sort of only helped one another to form this gorgeous answer to this puzzle. And so what were those pieces? Uh, started out as a comparative religion major in college, started getting really into Eastern philosophy, but really appreciated Judaism and Christianity and really loved learning about Taoism and Sikhism and Jainism and Buddhism and really like looking at like the, you know, and, and, and poets from the Islamic world. And I mean, there's just so much there, right? Mm-hmm. From there, I took a trip to Jerusalem 
and thought I was going to stay for a couple of weeks. I stayed for three years. Wow. And I learned uh, Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah in like the most sort of authentic places um, from the most like authentic sources. Mm -hmm. And then from there went to Los Angeles and studied for two and a half years at the Mindful Awareness Research Center, which really looks at the data and really understands what's happening in the body and in the brain when we meditate. And to look at completely secular science and see how it explains everything that I was feeling and experiencing on a spiritual dimension was so cool. So I started to work with people and and got a certification in teaching some mindfulness practice. And then from there went further and delved into the work of quantum physics and understanding um, from that dimension. And then while all of that was happening, I was playing in this world of manifestation and co-creation and seeing on a daily basis in my own life, how all of it just continued to add up, add up, add up. And And isn't that the wildest feeling though? I mean, (laughs) once I tapped into that too, I was like, wait, what? Like all of these dots connect. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. And we'll talk about it today. And, uh, And then I wound up starting a podcast in 2017, five years ago, and I've gotten like you're doing, right? I've gotten to sit with Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and billionaires who created from nothing, right? Howard Schultz, who this man built Starbucks, he grew up in public housing. And sure enough, every single person who's been on my show, everyone has a meditative practice is connected. So look at that. In 650 interviews, there's not one person who doesn't plug in. And the plugging in is really important. And so, you know, I'll start by saying one of the first things I learned in Jerusalem is that the word Kabbalah comes from the Hebrew word Lekabel, which means to receive. And so the great holy mystical rabbis would say this thing called the art of the law of attraction it's really more like the law of reception. And why is that? Because what they knew 5,000 years ago without microscopes, without anything, is that the world is made of vibration, that there's nothing physical and there isn't. So if you look at this now from a actual science level, right? We used to have the Newtonian atom, which we all made models of with styrofoam balls in school. I'm doing that with my son as well. Right. right. <laughs> but now we understand that an atom is made up of a neutron and an electron and a proton. And 99.9% of everything inside of an atom is actually vibration. Mm-hmm. So nothing is actually physical. Mm-hmm. Everything is a vibration and it's inside of an energetic vibrational field. And this is literally just the way science would explain to you what's actually here. So you and I look to the naked eye, like we are separate, but as Marianne Williamson said to me in such a beautiful analogy, she said, that would be like looking out at the ocean and thinking for one second that any wave is separate from another wave or Mm. that the waves are separate from the ocean themselves, Mm. which is just not possible. So it's kind of like if you throw a pebble into a pond and you see a ripple effect, we are 
vibrational beings living in a vibrational field. So that means that thoughts don't stay in your head. That means that there's resonance. So really the world is more like a radio than it is building blocks. Mm -hmm. The reason there's any kind of sadness at all mm -hmm. is when we feel separation. The ego goes into scarcity and I need this and she's got that, but that's actually not a thing, right? And then when Deepak was on my show, we talked about abundance. His new book is about abundance. He's written so many books actually about abundance. This is a man who comes from India where there is tremendous poverty. So mm -hmm. this is not a person who's not aware of certain circumstances right. and yet still goes back to the truth of the universe, which yeah. he says so beautifully, every acorn is the promise of a thousand forests. Yes. So the laws of this world are abundant, but man-made laws come into scarcity because we, we sort of get pulled into this illusion of the 3D, which means we're separate. And then we look at ego versus soul, right? And as every single psychologist has ever understood now about the brain, 95% of the brain is subconscious and only 5% is conscious. And the crowning jewel of the human being is this prefrontal cortex, right? Oh, this oh see, I knew we were going to talk <laughs> nerdy. I mean, already, already go ahead. Take us there, Kathy, because this is helpful. People need to know. I, I yeah. will tell you that the reason why this gets me super jazzed. And again, our listeners can't see it, but hopefully you feel this in, in my voice and the energy you're getting is because it's this thing that we intuitively know, but there is science that backs it. And one of the things that I believe, and I've seen builds people's confidence as they're initially starting to dive into this content is understanding what the prefrontal cortex is, why it's the CEO and how we can tap into that. So please teach yeah. our audience, go ahead. Yeah, so the neuroscientist, uh, Dr. Amishi Jha, who runs the Department of Neuroscience in University of Miami, she just wrote a book called Peak Mind. And what's really awesome is that every single thing I'm saying is totally, completely true and valid in the data. And it's in every, it's in every source. So it's not something you have, you don't have to make a leap here. You just can look at like science. And what's really important is then you start to have an awareness of like how you work and how you interact with other people. And then how you can, in a positive way, really tune into what your greatest force is, which is your energetic vibration. And like, then how do you tune in? So Dr. Amishi Jha, in her book, Peak Mind, she explains really nicely, a really cool analogy that this, this prefrontal cortex, okay? Why is that the crowning jewel of the human? Because you and I are, are sitting here, but we can have an experience of us sitting here right now by witnessing us sitting here. That's sort of like at any moment while you're in the moment, you can have a drone view look at you having the experience you're having. So koala bears, as far as we know, can't do that. Crocodiles can't do that. People can do that. Okay, that's unique. So what she says is, learning how to take out a flashlight and to focus our attention on something. Okay, so that's what we now know in children is the greatest determining factor of like how they're gonna do in school. It's called executive function, right? Mm -hmm. Can they turn their attention to something? And mindful practice is basically attending to something on purpose without judgment. Yep, the present moment. Right. So you could, in. you could focus your attention, like a flashlight on your breath, 
and just be with that. You could focus it on the smell of something. You could focus it on a walking meditation, the bottoms of your feet. But the more you do that, what we notice now is that there's actually tissue in the front of your brain that starts to develop and build. Why is that important? Because every single day, you and me and all my neighbors and everyone around this world is reliving the past because we replay the tapes. It's like there's software, there's a program running in our subconscious. And it's everything that was sort of programmed, not by us, but by our parents and our environment and things that happened from the ages of like zero. They used to think to seven. Now they think it's more like to 12. And whatever kind of happens, it's like when there's wet cement and you put your kids' hands in it or you put your dog's paws in it. Yep, those, are the day, it. those are the days of wet cement. So whether we are aware of it or not, those thoughts are accompanied by feelings. And when we wake up in the morning, we think the way that we thought, which means we felt the way we felt, which means we're gonna do what we did. And if you think the way you thought and you felt the way you felt and you do what you've been doing, you will have the same life experience. Mm -hmm. The results of your life won't change. So we create from our conscious mind. So when we're able to utilize this prefrontal cortex and to say, ooh, what do I actually want to create here? Now, why is this also important? Because Dan Buettner, who was on my podcast and I got to know his work really well, he used to work for National Geographic and he went around the world and discovered that there are five places in the world where people live the longest. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he wanted to know why. And he wrote a bunch of New York Times bestselling books, one after the other with total proven data. And he looked at places in the world and said, well, why do people who live in Loma Linda, California, live into their hundreds? And there's people in Okinawa who live into their hundreds. Shout out to Okinawa, where I actually spent first five out of seven years of my life. And I thought that I was Japanese. We came back to America and I was like, when are we going home? True. The people are happy. And I am going back to Okinawa. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. So he wanted to know, that's awesome. So he wanted to know why are people living the longest in places, what's the same in these places? In these five places, there are, without a doubt, these are the people who live into their hundreds and they don't just live, they thrive, right? They're riding a bicycle at 104. They're baking loaves of bread at 108. They're still doing what they do. Right, so he's like, what do they have in common? Because it's not their religion or their language and it's not the environment because some have this kind of hemisphere and some have that, right? Some are in the South, some are in the North. What is it? So he found that there were nine things that they had in common. And each of those nine things accounted for why their longevity is the way it is. And the most important one, we now know without a doubt that every disease in the body, it comes from inflammation. Okay. So that's why everyone's into like anything that reduces inflammation, antioxidants and all of that stuff. Well, what's the number one thing that creates inflammation in the body is actually cortisol, just a stress hormone. So all of these people, they have a meditative practice. They are in meditation and prayer every day. That is the number one thing that's adding years to their life because instead of dripping cortisol all day long, they're getting a drip of oxytocin and dopamine. So we are actually the best pharmacists. The good chemicals, the good chemicals. So we are the best pharmacists. It says in Hebrew, 
lifnei rafua hamaka, which means before God creates any kind of test in the world, the, the antidote, the healing is already created first. We are the healing. What we now know is that our cognitive behavior, our thoughts are felt in ourselves. So every time you think something, you're either repairing yourselves or you're creating different shapes in the protein, which are leading to disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of this is not just something that feels good. It actually changes our biological signature. So it's really cool to look at all of this and say, wait a minute, in every turn, right? We're all coming back to the same thing, which is that our thoughts are really not just these little things that we can take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so why this is so powerful is because psychologists and any kind of neuroscientists and anybody who understands behavior understands that we are constructed of sort of our higher self, mm -hmm. that conscious place, and then the ego. And the ego, as soon as we get triggered, all of the blood sort of rushes to our extremities because we're like danger. Our heart starts racing and we go into this fight or flight, sort of like a panic attack. And most people all day long are experiencing that on some low grade level mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. When we're in that place, shame, sadness, scarcity, self-doubt, we're not able to be creative. So the idea is that we want to elevate and raise our vibration because every single time someone's made a million dollars or a billion dollars, it came from an inspiration, right? A divine download, an idea. When Walt Disney was flying over hundreds of acres of swampland in Irvine and Anaheim rather, he saw Walt Disneyland, right? that comes from inspiration. You're only gonna get that hit when you are not in. You can't be creative when you're worried about survival. You're blocked. You're blocked, right. Mm -hmm. So while Disney was flying in a helicopter and overlooking Anaheim and he turned to the pilot and he's like, do you see it? And he's like, you mean this swampland? And he's like, yeah, this is Walt Disneyland. This is magic, right? We can create when we are available. Everything starts as a thought. Everything starts as a yeah. thought. I mean, the house that you're in, the partner that you chose, the job that you're in, it all begins as a thought. And I mean, you just gave a lot of great information that I have explored as well, because there was this moment that changed my awareness of the world. And because of that moment that was so personal and so raw and so vulnerable, I then had something awakened inside of me that I started to explore and ended up this down the same paths of positive psychology and understanding neuroplasticity and, and learning yeah. from these different mindful leaders. Did you have a moment though? Was there a moment that sparked the journey that got you to this place of fully understanding? Because that is our work. We are in the same army. We are doing this for people. But I think that for most people, it, it's this quote that I heard actually, it says something like, um, we all have two lives and the second one begins when we realize we have one. And it was because I recognized my thoughts that were shaping the quality of my life that I then decided to get into the driver's seat of them. Yeah. I wanted to make the most of it. 
Did you have a moment that sparked this journey for you? Or was it always like this underlying curiosity? There was a curiosity, but when I went to Israel, I was kind of just, oh, I want to check this off the list and tour this land and da da da. And I did, I did feel like there's a vortex there, right? Just like I'm sure when people go to Sedona, they say, like, there's something there, right? There's power, right? You can feel energy, the vibe, right? right? <laughs> Even in Los Angeles and New York City, there's a different energy, right? There's different energy in Charleston. It's like, so I felt something for sure, right? But then my last day before I was headed to the airport, I thought maybe I should learn something. Like all I did was have these incredible touring moments in the desert and in the Dead Sea and the, the, the mountains, but I was like, maybe I should learn something. And so I stumbled into a class with a rabbi who had been born Jewish, became Buddhist, went back to Judaism. And I was like, oh, this is like my person. I'd heard about him. I was like, let me just walk into this. And he lived in this beautiful little place on this cobblestone little street. And he had this loving energy. And he, I walked in, he's wearing Birkenstocks, this sweet little beard. And he, he talked about the word Shabbat, which is the word for the Sabbath. And he said, when these words are used, right? In the, in the Torah, the Bible, the Old Testament, whatever word you want to use for that book. He said, this is how we know the context of the word. And so he said, it says that Abraham was sitting at the foot of the tent and these three angels like appeared to him. And he said, this word for sitting is actually the same word for Shabbat. And Abraham yeshaved, like sat. Okay. So he said, what does that mean? He says, it means Abraham was meditating. Hmm. And he says, so what does that mean for us? It means that if we were to sit, we connect with that 5D. Mm. And I started to get goosebumps. Like, what is this? Right. And I was like, I really want to understand. And when I went back to Jerusalem and I studied and we're talking about, you know, 5,000 year old scripture, you know, the same books that Jesus was reading, you know, like it's so beautiful. And I had just come from really studying Southeastern Asian religion in college, which was my focus. And so it really was all like adding up. It was just like, whoa. And these, they didn't have Zoom calls or conference calls. And I was like, wow, they're saying <laughs> the same thing and it's gorgeous and it's ancient and it lives on. So I learned in those texts, like we are each a masterpiece, a piece of the master. And that if God was the sun, we are each like a ray of that sun. And that's all that's happening is this one energetic field. Mm -hmm. And it made sense to me. Mm. And coming from a family where my mom struggled with depression and was suicidal and my parents had gotten divorced, so there was a lot of strife in my house. To start to see beyond all of this stuff mm. and to feel when we close our eyes, right? Why do we say the word insight? Because usually when we have the most insight is with our eyes closed mm -hmm. in prayer, in meditation, when you wish on the candles on your cake, you close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, you feel this spaciousness and you feel this part of you that's always within reach that goes on in every direction and is connected and is compassionate and is passionate and is creative. And that's really us, right? Mm -hmm. So then the job of our you know, conscious mind is to continue to be the conductor every day mm -hmm. and to understand like everything is vibration. So if you think about anyone who's ever walked into a room, right? Certain people, five minutes later, you're exhausted. Like you need to take a nap. Mm -hmm. Certain people come in the room and everyone feels lifted, 
right? We can actually now see that on fMRI scans, what happens to a group of people when somebody walks in the room with a certain energy and how it literally changes everything else that's going on. And so really, like if we want to change what's going on in Ukraine or in Texas or wherever, like, you know, because of this horrible event that just occurred there, right? When we start to have this collective consciousness, when we start to raise our vibration, it literally affects the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So that's why this is so exciting and so important. And when people talk about, and I never really got on board with manifesting and watching the secret or any of that stuff, because I had come from such a old sort of ancient tradition reading and studying all of the stuff and it's in you know in ancient texts and all that so I kind of felt like I wanted to preserve that Mm -hmm. and so I hear people talk about you know how you know this is happening for me this is happening to me but what we're forgetting again is that in 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 God's perspective if you want to use the word God if you want to use the field the energy that one source right that there's, there's nowhere it isn't. So this idea that it's out here, right. And you're going to attract it from over there. It's like, that's why I love the idea of open your palms and tune your receiver to be in alignment with that source. Mm -hmm. As Marianne Williamson also said to me, it's like, we are the faucet, the ego, the body is the faucet, but who we really are, what's pouring through us is the water. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when people say this is really interesting, people have a lot of imposter syndrome. Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to build a business? Who am I to start this relationship? Who am I? Who am I? That's really ego centric. Because mm-hmm. who are you? You're talking about the ego, right? My ego is not enough, but you're who you really are. Right. I could say to you, right, a Deepak Chopra taught me this. He's like, you could say, I am Karen Allen, right? I could say, I am Kathy Heller. But what does that mean? What is that? Because Kathy Heller is a part that I play. And there have been times where I liked certain kinds of food. And there were times I like other kinds of food. Like sushi is my favorite food now. It wasn't when I was nine. And I had different best friends then. And I liked different music then. And uh, what's the same? The same is the part of me that's not I am Kathy Heller. It's just I am the I am part, right? Mm -hmm. There's something inside of me when I was created that's never changed. And that's really my higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like God's greatest desire is to be you because there's all this light, let's say on a spectrum, red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet, and all different shades of that, right? That's kind of like each one of us. Like every human has a different fingerprint I was telling my kids the other day, we were listening to We Are the World. And I said, now these are songwriters and artists who lived around the same time, right? And most of them from the same country, most of them. And yet I want you to listen. I can tell you every single person who's singing just by listening, right? And it's like Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Billy Joel, every voice is 100% different from the other. Mm-hmm. And then Stevie Wonder comes on. Mm-hmm. And then you're literally like, leveled and you go oh i already thought this was the most amazing song and then he comes on and you go oh now that's a whole other level of vibration and the song is not the same sung by any of those people that's us right Mm -hmm. we have a very unique imprint and our only job is to align right with that greater like more you know expansive like energetic 
And then you just move your ego out of the way. And it's, it's phenomenal. Like what you can experience. I know because I've lived in that space where I questioned, you know, like, well, what exactly am I supposed to offer? I feel so many different things. I am a creative, but I also love the data. I mean, I found my interest being pulled in different ways, along with my talents being so diverse that to, you know, this is a buzzword niche down actually felt inauthentic. And I know a lot of people probably struggle with that as they also maybe wonder. And I remember feeling this as well, you know, does my passion or my purpose align with the work I'm supposed to do or, or, or are those separate because I have to pay bills in this area. But what I found to be true for me was, as you mentioned, meditation was an incredible practice for so many reasons, but I think one of the most significant reasons that it was impactful for me is how you described when I went inward, I found more space and it's a great practice that helps you to be mindful in the moment while also noticing how much space you have for those things that are unseen, for those um, positive omens, if you will, that could cross your path, opportunities that may not have uh, quite opened yet. And so as I continue to go deeper in, and see more space, then I found more of myself. But that takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of reps, if you will, because just the simple act of meditation can be a barrier or a blocker because you think you're supposed to not think you're not supposed to dwell on those thoughts. So what advice would you give? Or actually, let me ask this way. What advice did you receive along the way that helped you to really get crystal clear on who you are, what your imprint is going to be and how you align with your best self so that you can offer that service to the world. Yeah. I mean, this is like really beautifully said, because I think this is where everybody is kind of hanging out every day in, in this, and you're really naming what people struggle with, which is important. You don't have to meditate every day. You know, what's really cool is just bringing mindful awareness into your life, right? Which means like between the time you shut the door to your house and walk to your car, or walk to the subway, just see if you can notice like your feet hitting the ground, you know, 12 times, you know, in your steps, just notice if you can drink your coffee and the first three sips of it, just be in that present moment and notice if it's hot or if it's cold or where it hits your tongue. It's, it's about just showing up in the present moment. And it doesn't have to be sitting for 15 minutes because you're right. People very much misinterpret that the idea of meditation is to have a blank mind, but the mind's job is to think. So that would be like thinking that your heart is supposed to stop beating. It's not going to happen. Please God, it's not going to happen. I need yeah. a rest. So let me heart. My heart needs to stop. Right. No, no the idea, works. <laughs> the idea is actually just to be a witness to the thoughts, right? And the more you're witnessing the thoughts, the more you separate yourself from the thoughts because the thoughts in our mind are most, this is the biggest fake news that there is, you know, it's like, <laughs> and we're telling ourselves constantly all of these limiting beliefs. And so I often say to people, like I'm holding up right now for Karen. So she gets, I'm holding up my phone, right? So the camera on my phone, if I take a picture of this room, the camera sees better than I do. The camera sees what's here. I don't, I see through a cognitive bias. So if you, if you see a woman going on a date, and she's just had a string of bad experiences. She's not going to really see what is. She's going to see through a lens of, you know, oh, who really is this guy? And is this going to go well? And blah, 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 right? If you see somebody who's looking for uh, a red car, all they're going to see is like all these red cars, right? We 
choose to see based upon what we've decided is reality. So if people believe in limitation. If you believe something's not possible, you're not going to see evidence of it. If you believe that you're not enough, you're going to see evidence that you're not enough. So that's why we have to witness the thoughts because the more we witness them, we can come back to reality, which is a beautiful, expansive field where all things are possible. That literally is reality. That's really how it is. And the universe is not net neutral. It's net positive, right? And every single thing in the universe, whether it's an eagle or whether it's a redwood tree, it's all designed to thrive to its fullest potential. There is no redwood tree that's supposed to feel bad 40% of the day. It's not supposed to be trying to get water. It's supposed to have an abundance of water and abundance of sunshine. And there's never been a rose bush that said, who am I to have so much and to be so beautiful because it would mm-hmm. affect the people. No, a garden is cooperation. It's collective consciousness. It doesn't have ego. So it all knows that when it stands in its most beautiful potential, it only illuminates, right? If a cherry tree is planted and it grows, it just created so many million more cherry trees. Mm-hmm. That's our job. So it's it's getting in touch with the reality, mm-hmm. actual reality with a capital R. And so we can do that without meditating, right? We can do that by really looking into and studying and looking for evidence of everything we just talked about. And knowledge really is power. Mm-hmm. The more awareness you have, the more you actually change your behavior. If I walk into my house at midnight and there's an electrical outage, I won't bump into my cat's water bowl because I know where it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That awareness is everything. So if you're saying, well, I can't really take up a mindfulness practice right now and meditate for 20 minutes a day, that's okay if you have this knowledge, right? But then we have to find ways to keep feeding this because if we don't feed the conscious mind, right? We're going to be taken over by the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind, as we talked about earlier, has literally emotional addictions. Our cells develop receptor sites for cortisol the same way they develop receptor sites for nicotine. And it's even more addictive. So that means the longer you've gone in your life with limiting thoughts, self-doubt, all of that stuff, your body craves it. I went off sugar a few months ago. For four days, I kept testing for COVID. I'm like, I'm so sick. No, my body was just in withdrawal from sugar. It was really uncomfortable because it had developed. It was like, I want a Laffy Taffy. I want Twizzlers, right? And it was like, no, and by day five, I started to feel better. And now my daughter had Sour Patch Kids the other day. I'm like, it's too sweet for me. My body's kind of released it. But just know that it's not just your mind. You're up against your body now. On a physical level, you are craving this emotional addiction to suffering. So we've got to keep feeding it, listening to podcasts, doing things that keep bringing us back to the knowledge and the awareness of what's really happening. And then if you want to start doing baby bits of practice with mindfulness and meditation, Great, have at it and be really gentle. And the whole point of mindfulness is to be a witness and sit beside the river without judgment. So it's not about judging the fact that you're thinking too much or having an agenda that you wanna have this experience in the next five minutes. It's literally about seeing if you can be with what is and tune into that spaciousness that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of what you were saying when it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And this is gonna take time and da 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 Here's what I see, okay? People come to me a lot of times because they want to find their purpose and they don't want to have a day job. They want to be feeling like they're lit up and they're contributing and all of that. And that's really what I'm here for. Like, I want to encourage everyone to know how to do that and to step into it. And what I notice is people really don't have a business problem. It's just a courage problem. Because if you look at a preschool classroom, every child is creative and every child is making things because they're willing to do what? They're willing to be messy. They're willing to iterate. 
everything that's ever been created, whether it was a yoga studio or Skippy peanut butter or a new car, it goes through beta test and beta test and beta test. So typically when people come to me with this struggle, they are overthinking something that they have no data for, right? If you want to start a podcast, it's like, start it. And then you're going to pivot and pivot and pivot. You're going to pivot. You're going to understand more what your audience wants. You're going to get feedback, right? It's a relationship, whether it's a, if it's a, if it's, if it's not a hobby, right? It's not something that's just for you. If it's a hobby, it's not about what other people want or need, right? But if you want to create something in the world that impacts other people, we got to understand what they want and what they need. Well, we'll never be able to do that by ourselves siloed off on our own. So the idea is being generous and getting over the egos. So I'm uncomfortable. So I won't make the most perfect thing the first time. So my, my friend on Facebook might not like it, or she'll think, who is she to start a podcast or who is she to start making things like that? Okay. I'll survive it. Right. What's more important than your ego being comfortable and making sure that it doesn't lose time and it makes things that are perfect. What's more important than that is being in the creative process and being generous and starting to put things in the world, put things out there and starting to then be led like hot, cold, you know, you're closer, you're warmer, you're hotter, you're colder. You're going to be led. The dream you're chasing is going to be the dream that chases you back, right? Mm-hmm. I went out to Los Angeles. I wanted to get a record deal. I left Israel, went to LA, wanted to write music, wanted to like put all these ideas into music. And I wrote songs and wrote songs. And finally I got signed, right? And I'm pretty good at this whole idea of co-creation and manifestation because of energy, right? It's all energy. So I can walk in a room and I can connect with other people and I can raise that whole room like this one wave raises the tide. And so, uh, and I also believe that all things are like, you know, magic fertilizer. So your thoughts become things. So I got this record deal at Interscope and soon after I got dropped from the label. Now, looking back, I know that I was no longer a vibrational match for it. So I co-created that getting dropped from the label. At the time, I didn't quite even get that part, but now I know that was my co-creation. In any case, I leave the label and I wind up getting a day job. And two years later, I'm sitting there in Brentwood helping this billionaire. He's selling commercial real estate. Like he's selling these huge $500 million shopping centers and he's making money, right? And he said to me, you're a money magnet because your vibe is so good. And I said, yeah, but here I am driving the CLK Mercedes and I bought the couch at Anthropology and I'm living in this cute little place in Beverly Hills and I'm 25, but I didn't come to LA for that. So two years in, I turned to him and I said, I'm going to quit this job and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't have parents to fall back on. I come from single mom family. Nobody gave me any money. All good. Don't need it. Our greatest resource is not resources, but our resourcefulness, right? And our greatest resourcefulness are our energy, our passion, our compassion, our creativity. So I wasn't worried about that part, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And I leave the job and I'll show you this right here. So I, I said to myself, there's got to be another way to do what I love. Is it all or nothing? Is it Beyonce or bust? This is a billboard magazine from 2013. And it's interesting because on the cover is Macklemore and the cover says triumph of the indie hustle. So this was a whole issue about people doing it on their own. And this is me in this full page article and the headline says writing your own check. And I all of a sudden got this idea like, hang on a second. So maybe I'm not a vibrational match for being on a label, which by the way, I now know it's because my real thoughts behind being on a label were, oh God, what does it mean to be on tour? I won't be able to be a mom. I won't. So of course I sabotaged that because I really wasn't all in, which is interesting. 
I wind up writing music for film and TV for 10 years. I wind up becoming my own agent, writing songs for Coca-Cola and Target and McDonald's and shows like Grey's Anatomy and Pretty Little Liars. And I have a baby and I get married, I have the second baby and I'm living in this beautiful house and I'm making four or $500,000 a year. And I was enjoying it so much. And people started to say to me, how on earth did you do that? And I said, because it's not all or nothing. There's another place where you can go. But all of a sudden I realized for every song that I wrote, for every song that I had made, let's say $75,000 to have it played in a Coke commercial, there was about a thousand artists who would email me. I just saw you in Variety Magazine. I just saw you in the LA Weekly. How do you do it? How, how, how? So I started this podcast. Now, why am I saying this? Well, I thought I was like sitting pretty, like doing my thing. No, it finds you, right? If you keep showing up, it's going to open up more opportunities that you couldn't even see from where you were limited, right? You can't see what's around the corner until you walk down the block and you look down that street. So here I was, and I started being led to why don't you now share with other people how they could find a way where it's not all or nothing? So I started a podcast. There was a songwriter who I had been coaching as a friend. She's like, this is a podcast. So I said, I'm going to do this podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job because I left this commercial real estate thing and went all in to like, there's got to be a way to do this thing that I just love doing. And sure enough, it's the podcast. I thought I was coming out to use my voice, right? I'm now using my voice, right? And it's not about the songs. It's about using my voice to help other people find their voice, which gives me the chills, right? It's so much more expansive and amazing. And I started this show. I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't have an email list. My whole life was selling songs to DreamWorks and ad agencies. Like I, did, I wasn't even on tour or anything like that. And now we have 30 million downloads and I have interviewed all of these people who've been heroes of mine and also fun, you know, hot guys like Matthew McConaughey and Rob Lowe and, and it's uncanny, right? And now I'm writing my second book. Did I predict any of that? No, but by showing up and continuing to say, yes, let's go for it. And when I started the podcast, there was a part of me that said, hang on a second. There's millions of podcasts. Who am I to do this? I have three little babies, five, four, and zero. I started the podcast. My daughter was 10 days old. I'm exhausted. I'm not that, I'm not that different from other people who had, you know, something to say about dream jobs. Why would mine be interesting? And then I remember that in the Talmud, it says words from the heart, enter the heart. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's got to count for something. And I'll tell you this, which is so empowering for people to hear. We are so obsessed with this vanity of numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I wanna have 100,000 followers on Instagram. If I don't have that, it really lets me know that I wanna grow things. I want things to go viral, but here's what I want you to know about going viral. This is true, write this down. So my friend Britt used to work at Facebook and now she's a venture capitalist. She just started this amazing NFT girl gang thing with her and Gwyneth Paltrow and Mila Kunis. She's amazing, she does everything. But she was one of the first people at Facebook. She told me that Mark Zuckerberg said to her early on, this company is going to be bigger than anything. And she said, how do you know this? And he said, because we just got back the data that shows that our virality rate is 1.4. 
And she's like, 1.4? I thought you were going to say 100. Like 1.4 doesn't sound that amazing. He's like, no, let me explain what that means. It means that every time someone uses Facebook, they are compelled. They have to tell 1.4 people that they have to get on the app. So whenever you're taking a survey and you're leaving Target or Starbucks or somebody's whatever restaurant, they say, could you fill out the survey? And it's like on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend this? If somebody writes a three or a seven, it doesn't count at all. If somebody writes a nine or a 10, that's gold, right? Malcolm Gladwell has been on my show three times. He wrote a book called The Tipping Point. What does it mean? It means even in COVID, the doctors were saying that if the R factor was one or more, that the hospitals would be over, overrun. What does it mean? A, a, a one meant that if every person who had COVID, God forbid, transmitted it immediately to one other person, it would go around the world and that's what happened. As soon as it went to like 0 0.8, 0 0.7, they said, we're gonna have some relief here. And we started to see relief because it wasn't a foregone conclusion that every person immediately transmitted it to one person. It meant there was a little bit of wiggle room. So it started to calm down. What does that mean? It means whatever you're doing, if you're making pottery, if you're writing a play, if you are creating gluten-free cupcakes, if you are creating a podcast and one person is completely satisfied and so enjoying what you're doing, they will be compelled to tell another person and you will sit back and be able to receive that. And everybody can say, wow, I've been overestimating what's, net, what's needed for me to make a change in this world when really, if I just got messy and got into it, I could figure out how to show up and do this for three people by the end of the day. And I could make those three people feel so satisfied with my experience with them that I could actually see now that that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I remember feeling like the ripple effect is not just about me impacting a whole bunch of lives. And I think that's also where people can get caught up. They want to see this huge ripple effect, but have you made one person smile? Have you impacted one person with good advice? As you just said, because that's the energy as we were talking about earlier that keeps on giving. And it even comes back to us, which is why we have to stay open to not just giving, but also receiving it. So I have a question as we get ready to, to close our conversation. Thank you so much for all of these amazing gems, but I want to ask you to finish this sentence. Abundance is. Abundance is reality. Abundance is reality. You are abundant. Wayne Dyer and so many other great spiritual teachers will say and they'll say quite correctly that we don't get what we want. We don't manifest what we want. We get what we are. Mm -hmm. So why is that important? Because we are abundant. Our energy, our soul, uh, this thing called consciousness, it is, was, always will be. And it goes on and on and on. And it's infinite. And when you know that and you sit in that place of wholeness, you drop into it and you feel how good it feels to really be identified with who you really are, what do you get back? Abundance, because you get what you are. So reality is abundant and you are reality. You are an extension of this force called energy, right? 
It's in every single one of us. It connects us. We are the ocean itself. Yeah, it's in nature. That's why I appreciate how you mentioned that and connected that to even the garden. We can see reflections of how we can thrive and we can see that in the world around us. Yeah, a really good metaphor for that, which I can leave you with in nature, I think it really helps to picture this is my mindfulness teacher used to say, if you look out at the ocean, okay, you see waves. That's what we all associate with the ocean. And my daughter, she's eight, my middle daughter, she said to me the other day, mommy, you know how we could stop the waves in the ocean or change them? I said, what? She goes, if we change the moon. And she's right, right? Remember in Bruce Almighty, he like moves the moon and there's she's like a so wise. Yeah, <laughs> she's been learning about the ocean. So we experience the ocean as moving, right? Anybody who's ever slept near the ocean, on, you know, get a hotel near the beach, some people like to leave the window open because you can hear that constant sound. And some people are like, oh, I feel like I'm moving all night. I'm moving with it. I'm going to shut the door, right? It doesn't stop. Why is that so important for us to understand? Because of this. That is the most superficial layer of the ocean. And it doesn't define the ocean. In fact, it's like a sliver of the ocean. Why? because that's looking at the ocean from the top. But if you actually know anything about the ocean and you go into the ocean itself and you go down 10 feet or 40 feet or a mile or leagues, right? <laughs> if you go down there, it's so still. And there's such a vacuum of activity that you can literally go deaf and pop your eardrums because there is no movement. It's so still. Why is that such a great analogy for us? Because all day long, we get hijacked by our subconscious spinning thoughts, which have been playing and playing and playing. And we identify with that and we believe them. And we're not a witness to them. We get caught in them, like caught in a blizzard as opposed to looking out at a blizzard. And we think we are all of this. Look at me, I'm anxious. Look at me, I'm going, you know, I'm. I'm back in this whole thing. Oh God, I'm worried. Da, da, da. So frenetic. Da, 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 da. No, that is literally the most superficial layer of our construction of our identity. What's really who we are is this deep, expansive wholeness that when we breathe into it, we start to feel this state of, ah. Oh, this is really the I am. This is really truth here. And the more we are aware of that, we can memorize how that feels. And the more we memorize how that feels, we can keep coming back to it and disassociate from this very top layer. And we can start to live in the ocean inside. And why is that important? Because for anyone who wants to manifest, for anyone who wants to create a beautiful life, for anyone who wants to tune into the radio of the music called expansion, we will always be like a tuning fork, like a boomerang. What we send out comes back and we will always, 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 and always get back what we are with resonance that's equal. So the more you are equal to the ocean itself, you're going to come back with, oh my gosh, I just bumped into abundance. I just bumped into this opportunity because you're a walking, living, breathing, expansive ocean. And that's why 
nature is constantly, right? It's constantly reminding us. And I think that that's just such a helpful way to see it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me this morning, Kathy. I mean, this conversation was so expansive in itself, (laughs) but I hope that one thing that you got from this, that you don't just keep with yourself, that you share it, share it on social, share it with a friend. As Kathy just mentioned, this is a ripple effect and we are all connected. We are all a part of this garden and I'll leave you with this. A lot of times we rush to our success, but if you think back to the garden and you think about planting a seed, apple trees, they take six or seven years. Lemon trees take three or four years sometimes, but the, the fruit trees, even if we just imagine them in, in, in their own glory, they take time before they are bearing good fruit. And the experiences that Kathy shared with you today and other experiences that you've heard from other guests, it's because we have all spent time planted and buried in the garden before we were, we were bearing this good fruit. And just as we mentioned earlier, Kathy said how, you know, the rose uh, is bush is not looking to the next bush to say, well, do I have more flowers and maybe I should bloom a little less because of the comparison. Don't compare your journey. If you pay attention to those thoughts, if you go inward, if you start to explore the limitness that uh, limitlessness that lives inside of you, then you're going to be pleasantly surprised at the imprint that you can leave in this world. Kathy, again, thank you so much for just sharing all of those beautiful gems. Where would you like people to find more about you and to learn more and to connect more with your work? They can come to Instagram at Kathy.Heller. I usually post something. Obviously I do it myself. That's one thing I don't have my team do because I want to be in it. So I'm on Instagram. And then the podcast is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Instead, do something you love. But I want, can I say one thing about what you just said? Yes, please. So Einstein said very clearly that time is relative, right? So when you just said things take time, I actually don't agree with that. And I want to offer something that could be really helpful, which is we can collapse time and space. The stronger your vibration, right? When you tune into a certain radio station, it's already in the field, it's already done. So as soon as you're on that station, you'll have it immediately. Now, right, if you zoom out, if you and I left this earth and we went up in space, there is no such thing as a 24 hour day doesn't exist, right? 24 hours is something that's happening between the earth's rotation and the sun, but in the majority of the universe, there are no days. Time doesn't work that way. And depending on where you would go in this thing called the actual universe, you would experience time really differently. So if you zoomed all the way out, right? You go up to where God's hanging out. There's only this thing called now, which is, was, and always will be at the same time. And it's hard to understand, but Einstein amazingly totally got it and wrote a lot of equations that help us to see it. We believe that certain events and certain things will only happen in a certain place or in a certain time. That's if we're working from the hustle of the ego. If we're working from a frequency standpoint, from a vibrational standpoint, it's all here right this second. And so instead of worrying about what do I need to do, the question is, who do I need to be? And the more you can be totally and completely aligned, you're going to hear a different song on that radio and you're going to go, holy crap, out of nowhere, 
I just got a call out of nowhere. I was sitting next to so-and-so and oh my gosh, this conversation just led to this, which led to this, which led to this. So I think that that's really important. Mm, that resonates so deeply. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you You're for so hanging welcome. out today. You're so welcome, it was so fun. Yeah. This has been In The Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.